Many years ago, oh, thank you. Many years ago, we, when our children were young, so this is probably 25 to 30 years ago, we used to, my dad used to have an office on Ludgate Hill, about 100 yards down from St. Paul's Cathedral. And each year, we used to go with our children and watch the Lord Mayor's Parade as it used to come down um, Ludgate Hill there. Uh, And one of the things I can assure you is that there really is a dust cart that follows the Lord Mayor's Parade. Uh, And it clears up all the horse poo and the various other things that have been dropped by this parade that's gone past. And sometimes, speaking on the Sunday after Easter or Christmas feels a bit like being the dust cart behind the Lord Mayor's parade. Because the eggs have all been eaten, the triumphant songs have been sung, uh, the excitement of Easter has faded. Uh, Unusually this year it was a warm and sunny Easter and we're able to enjoy that and some of us have been off for summer all of the week. Life has returned to normal. Or maybe we never felt that certain about it all anyway. Um, And I'm going to go to a passage that I often return to after Easter. Um, I've done, this will be the third time in the last nine years that I've spoken on this particular passage, although I've brought different things from it each time. Um, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which isn't normally one of my chosen translations, but it brings out one particular thing that virtually all the other translations miss. Um, or don't emphasize. So uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. It's the story of the journey on the road to Emmaus. Um, So there's probably not much point turning it up in, well, you can turn it up in your Bibles, but it won't be the same as what's up here, unless you've got New Living Translation, which I don't think anybody here uses. Am I on, by the way? Good. Um, So that same day, and when it says that same day, by the way, this is the day of the resurrection. So this is Easter Sunday. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe 
that, sorry, to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as though he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they'd recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Amen. I love that story. I, you know I don't have favorite passages of scripture, but if I did, that would be one of them. Um, but just imagine the scene. The women have gone to Jesus' tomb on what we now call Easter Sunday so that they can embalm him. And when they get there, there's no body in the tomb. An angel appears to them and announces the resurrection. And they return to the eleven disciples or apostles. And the apostles don't believe them. But Peter gets up, runs to the tomb and finds it empty with strips of linen, as we discussed last week, lying there on the ground by themselves. And Peter goes away wondering what's happened. Now, I don't know what was going on in Peter's heart, but I suspect wondering is putting it mildly. Was he beginning to remember some of those comments Jesus made about rebuilding the temple in three days? Was he remembering that occasion when he'd been the one who answered the question, who do you say that I am? Was he remembering his triple denial of Jesus three days or a few days earlier? And was he beginning to think, maybe, just maybe... We don't know. But now it's later on that same day, the day of the resurrection. We've all been left wondering. And the past, this passage will answer ours and Peter's wondering. Everybody there was left wondering. It says that the women who'd gone to the tomb were left wondering. Everybody's left wondering. What on earth is going on here? And this passage, I think, brings the answer to that wondering. It starts with two disciples, Cleopas and X, who might, according to some commentators, have been uh, Cleopas's wife, 
who are on their way from Jerusalem, downcast and disappointed, not knowing what's happened. And it ends with them returning to Jerusalem, having encountered the living Jesus and proclaiming the resurrection. Incredible turnaround, isn't it? You know, they're heading this way, they're downcast, disappointed, miserable, fed up. We've spent three years giving our lives for what? Nothing. And they return proclaiming the glory of the resurrection. I think it's an incredible transition that happens in this passage. These disciples, they're heading away from Jerusalem, away from the place where they had hoped to see the Messiah reveal himself in all his glory and his power. There, instead, he ended up dead. Their hopes have been dashed, and they're walking away from all of this back to whatever normal was before them, or before all these events happened. Basically, they've given up. They're trying to make sense of it all, throwing ideas backwards and forwards between them. The reason I chose this um, version, actually, only two versions bring this out. Um, And it's the New Living Translation and the Message. And I dislike the message even more. So I I wasn't going to read from that. But only those two versions pick up on a particular word that's used here. Uh, and the, the, So most of our versions, anyone got the NIV? What does it say for verse 16? I think it just says, no, no, before that, about discussing it. Yeah, and after that? Yeah. So, so the NIV simply says, what are you discussing together? And most of the other translations have that. The word that's used here um, is, uh, sorry, a bit of Greek, is the word antibalo, which is what in ancient Greek was used of someone punching a punch bag in a gym. Um, And it came to mean throwing things backwards and forwards. And so what they're doing, they're not discussing it. They're having this quite heated discussion about what does this mean? They're throwing backwards and forwards ideas about what on earth is this all about? It's not a discussion. It's far more than a discussion. And um, we tend, very often in translations, we tend to take things down to make them simple and so on. But it actually, the, the word here is bigger than just discussing it. They, this is quite a heated discussion that's going on. So they just can't make sense of it all. They can't process it at all. Um, Then they're joined as they walk along by a man who asks them what they're talking about. Would have been quite... Oops, that's the wrong picture, sorry. I've not got the picture in there. Beg your pardon. Um, So they're joined by a man. There's a painting by a guy called James Tissot, which I think is a nice painting, which I'm sure was in that PowerPoint. I... It was when I looked at it last night, unless I've hidden the slide or something. Anyway, um, so they're joined by a man um, who asks them what they're talking about. Again, it would have been perfectly normal uh, on, that, on a journey such as that one to be joined by someone else who's walking along the way. It keeps you safe from, or safer from, from being robbed and things like that. 
Um, and they can't quite believe. Now, we know, because the, the, the narrator, Luke, tells us. Who does the narrator tell us it is? We know that. But they don't know that, do they? And they're joined by this guy, and they can't believe that he hasn't been watching the news. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on? A public execution at the Passover would be big news. And they pour out all their disappointment and disillusionment to him. He gets the whole shooting match. The prophet who was mighty in word and deeds been executed the hope that he'd redeem Israel, which of course he'd done, they just couldn't see it, has been dashed. The bodies disappeared. And his response, does he say, poor you? That's a shame. Or if he'd done the parenting course, maybe he'd have said, you've got a problem. What are you going to do about it? No. What he says is, if you want to understand that, you need to do the parenting course. What he says is, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? And they still don't recognize him. And then he explains, from Genesis through to Malachi, whole of the Old Testament, what was said about him in what we call the Old Testament. And I always say at this point, I just wish one of them had had the common sense to take a notebook and pen. But still. But still, they don't recognize him. And then they reach what was probably one of their homes, and he makes as if to go on but they insist that he stays with them because it's getting late and it would be dangerous. And then once inside, he takes over as the host, which is a bit rude apart from anything else, isn't it? You know, if I came into your home and took, sort of took over and said, right, let's sit down, we'll have a meal, I'll, I'll break bread, it's just not the way you do it. So it would be rather strange. So he takes over as host, he gives thanks he breaks bread, he's recognized by them, and poof, he disappears. And it says in verse 31, then their eyes were opened. It's the same phrase that's used of Adam and Eve at the first recorded meal in the Bible, which was a snack more than a meal probably. But only this time, it doesn't signal the fall of humanity where they eat the apple. Some of you are looking at one another rather mysteriously. I'm saying the first recorded meal is eating the apple, okay? It was a, probably a snack rather than a meal. But um, this time, it doesn't signal the fall of humanity, but underlines the full redemption of humanity. Yay. Good. Now, this picture, this image of the feast at Emmaus, or the meal at Emmaus, has been painted by quite a few great artists who've been fascinated by this scene. Um, I've got some of them here. This is a guy called Abraham Blumart. Um, 
and then there's one by Titian. There's one by, actually Rembrandt painted several versions of it, but my favourite is this one by Caravaggio. Um, and as you look at that picture, which one of them do you think is Jesus? The man in red? Yes, I think it probably is. As I was lying in bed last night, I began to wonder if the one on the left is Jesus. Um, but I don't know. But it's one of those pictures that kind of draws you in, I think. There's something... Yeah, I mean, we have to forgive... You know, I'm not sure they were having roast chicken either, quite honestly. But... Um, uh, Very true. Yeah. It's quite possible. Yeah. I, I, I got a bit hung up on the beard when I first saw it, but I, uh, I'll let that one go. But there's something about this picture, I think, that invites us in. I don't know about you, but I just feel when I look at this picture that there's something about drawing us into what's happening there. Drawing us into the mystery of what's happened. Um, I'm, I quite like that picture. That's my favourite one of it. But this is a topic that has fascinated people down through the centuries. Um, and then, once Jesus has disappeared, and I haven't got a picture of him disappearing, so we'll just leave that one up there. But once Jesus has disappeared, what they say to each other is, didn't our hearts burn within us? when he talked on the road. They suddenly began looking back over everything that's happened and realising what was going on. Um, I quite often find that happens in life. I have no clue what's going on at the time and it's only later that it makes any sense. But immediately then, they go rushing back to Jerusalem. They find that the 11 have, um, have sorry, the 11 also now know and in fact that Jesus has also appeared to Simon Peter. He's had a busy afternoon um, because he's also appeared to Simon Peter and they tell their story and they tell of how Jesus was revealed in the breaking of bread. That's one of the reasons I want us to take communion after I speak today rather than before. So what? So what do we learn from this whole passage? What does it mean for us? Well, I think there's something in this story about handling disappointment. There's something in it of the richness of how God comes to us in our disappointment, our distress and our despair. These guys are thoroughly disillusioned. And Jesus doesn't go and have a party with the the bulk of the disciples in Jerusalem, but he actually goes out on this road and he walks that journey with them. He appears to them. He reveals himself to them. He explains what's happened. He revisits their disappointment. It's because of that they go charging back to Jerusalem, because they've had a real encounter with the Lord Jesus. I think there's something in it about recognizing, even in the darkest times, that God is on the move that God is actually at work in what looks like something that has gone completely pear-shaped. 
Um, it just looks, doesn't it, as if the whole thing has gone belly up. Jesus was supposed to bring in this new era, this new kingdom, and what's happened, he's got himself killed. Yet actually, God was doing something far greater than that in the midst of that. One of the early theories about what Jesus did on the cross um, I can't remember the theologian's name now. Gregory of Nyssa has this idea that, um, that Jesus fooled the devil uh, and that he, I think he uses the phrase, he came under the veil of, he slipped, um, he slipped deity under the veil of humanity. Uh, Mike probably knows this quote better than I do. Um, and the devil bit on the hook, not realizing what he was, was biting on. But, Um, I I personally don't necessarily buy that theory, but just this idea that in the midst of what looked to have gone completely wrong was actually God's great triumph. And for us, there is a need, and for me, there certainly is a need, I get easily discouraged, to recognize what's really going on in a situation. We can so easily look at it and think, that's really bad. That is a complete mess. When actually, it's God who's at work. We also see something in it of the faithfulness of God to his promises. They all think that God has slipped up and not kept to what he promised. That he went and got himself killed. When actually, God is being completely faithful to what he'd promised. Just they didn't realize quite what he, or how he'd promised he would do it. Um, so there's this incredible faithfulness of God to his promises, to accomplish what he had set out to accomplish. And then finally, the, the other thing that really strikes me about this passage, I'm trying to be quick here because we're going to break bread, is that Jesus revealed himself to them in the breaking of bread. We can very often go through this process as though it's some kind of ritual that we just do. But actually, when these guys broke bread with Jesus, he revealed himself to them in that breaking of bread. And I want to pray this morning that as we come to to break bread, as well as the Holy Spirit ministering to, to disappointment, to difficulty, um, and we've got enough of that going on um, at the moment, that he will also reveal himself to us as we break bread together. Um, we don't just do this. It's not just an exercise in obedience. It's certainly not just an exercise in remembering, but it is also an exercise in encountering the living and risen Lord Jesus. And I want to pray this morning, I will pray in a minute, that he will reveal himself to us as we break bread.